Hello and welcome to episode 44 of Magic and the Other Guy. And you join Kevin and me sitting outside my home on the banks of Lake Wiley in Charlotte, North Carolina on a beautiful sunny afternoon. Kevin, how are you today? I'm very well. I'm very well. Jolly good. I never know what we're talking about. You do, we hope, know what we're talking about. Kick us off. What are we talking about today? Well, you may recall last uh, episode, I introduced the topic with three letters. Right. Those being MTV. Okay. This time, I'm going to introduce it with three numbers, and you'll know exactly what the topic is as I say them. Okay. 007. 007. James Bond, License to Kill. Didn't take you long. James Bond, as Sean Connery used to say. I was about to say the early iteration there. <laughs> He's my favorite James Bond, too, actually. How about you? Who's your favorite James Bond? I think if you break it down, probably he has to be. But my introduction to James Bond, you got to think about my age. I was you know, born in 69. The first movie of his, I maybe I ever saw, definitely the first one I ever saw in the theater was Moonraker. So we were, uh, what, three movies into Roger Moore at that point? Okay. I think that's right. I think he did Live and Let Die first. He did. The I Spy Who Loved Me second. Yeah. And then Moonraker was third. Yeah, beautiful stories, great, uh, great movies, and that franchise has just gone on to bigger and bigger and better things. And even to this day, here we are in 2021, waiting for the next James Bond movie to be released. Oh, always. Yeah, yeah. there's always a continual churning of the machine. Yes. Now, talking of James Bond and the author of James Bond, Ian Fleming, you and I were having a chat only the other day off air about the movie Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Which is what kind of spurred me to think oh, about this. Go. It's a roundabout thing in the <laughs> Ian Fleming world. It, yes, and uh, it always strikes me as uh, such a different story, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, to uh, the James Bond stories. But yeah, there he is, Ian Fleming, stretching out. Now, my understanding is, I know we're slightly off topic talking about Chitty Chitty, uh, but that was originally released, I think, as a book of two halves, maybe in a magazine format, and then it was put together as a book. Uh, but I do remember that as a, as a kid, and loved the movie, uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, but also loved the story as well, which is uh, the book, very different to, to, to the movie. But I like very much uh, uh, Sean Connery. I think he plays a perfect James Bond. And... Um, I wonder who will be the next actor or actress to play James Bond. Have you heard any rumors about uh, that? I'm probably rem there. Probably is some good rumor mill going, and mm. I just don't know what it is. Yeah. But uh, of course, we've had some you know great ones down the line, and I think everybody has their favorites, and then kind of they probably list them and what they you know like is the best, and what they thought you know is the, their least favorite. And yes. they vary toward much more toward the end. I think they do on the front end. I think Sean is probably by far the most widely respected. Um, but second, you know, that could probably even be kind of controversial because I think Daniel Craig has done such a good job the past few years. I'm very much so. That he, he, it just represents a good, good franchise, sub-franchise with his versions. Yeah, Daniel Craig, it always strikes me. And I think, I, you know, I may, I'm, I'm kind of misquoting somebody, but I want to go on the back of the strength of the quote is Daniel Craig looks very dangerous on camera and he does I mean he really looks he looks the part yeah some actors that have played it in the past don't look as convincing but Daniel's most to my eye most certainly does yeah, yeah. well and too they've definitely gotten darker and grittier yeah in the, in the latter ones which is probably more true to how something would be in the real world yes and I think they the, just allow that for more of that these days the early ones the early the early uh, 70s movies always tended to 
revolve around very ambitious plans to take over the world with with space technology. I seem to remember that being a very big feature of the James Bond films. But I do like the idea of Spectre, for example, being the, this evil empire and uh, taking over the world in a more realistic way. I like. I, I'm kind of intrigued by all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, well, speaking, it made me think when you say this, the space thing, you know, Moonraker was, of course, the, the, the space, yeah. if you look at any of them, it's the space James Bond movie, and how they were using, you know, what was really the, the images and the prototypes of the space shuttle a number of years before our first real launch. Right, but yeah. those were the NASA-type space shuttles that they were using in the movie. I guess they, you know, researched and got a lot of the information that they were le- leaking out to the public from yeah. NASA. To, to use as their basis. But they're very cool. They're very cool movies, and obviously they've been highly successful. We don't need to say that. But I think one of the things that makes them a great success, beyond the great stunts and the seemingly limitless budget that the studios have to produce the movies, is the continuation of the characters. Although they're played by different actors and actresses over the years, but. Miss Moneypenny and M and Q and James and Felix Leiter. Yep. They're all, you know, they're, they're such great characters. I mean, you can reel them off one after the other because we all know of them, right? We're all sort of, a, we have a relationship with them. We expect them to be in the next movie. And most of the time, they are in the next movie. You know, I like all of that. Yeah, that's one thing that I've always, that's always impressed me, both, both uh, with written novels and also in movies, is you have to have the continuation of the characters to be drawn into the story you have to have some sort of relationship with him like you you want to feel involved and connected to them otherwise why am i watching this movie but that's something that james bond movies do very well you feel a connection invested i suppose is the word and you don't feel disconnected if they have changed actor or actresses you have to put yeah. up with that, yeah. Because obviously James has changed, and then in the course they've switched over, you know, the actors or actors playing the other characters. Right. And they may cross over in different times with, the, as the Jameses have changed. Yes. And such like that. But you just roll with it and keep going. So. Yes. I mean, I think Judy Dench playing M was an absolutely seamless transition. Like, it, she was so good at playing that character. Yeah. And now they have the young Q. Yes, the young Q. Absolutely. I, I call it that slightly... The relationship between... In this, we're talking about Judy Dench's portrayal of M. The Judy Dench character and James. I, I like that interplay between the two. You can see they're very connected to one another. Yeah. They have great respect for one another. But so we'll not take any guff off either. Exactly. It's almost like a mother and son relationship. Um, and she obviously cares a great deal for him, but has to portray... The idea that she doesn't care about yeah. him. If she has to put him in mortal danger, she will put him in mortal he's, danger. He's just an asset that needs to get a job done. But you can tell just with those very subtle looks of her eyes and the lines and the subtle, the subtlety of the whole thing that she cares very deeply for him. Yeah. I, I like that. I, I, I get very invested in that. Yeah. I'm a big, you know, that I'm attracted to details in all walks of life, whether it's real life or, or, or fantasy or whatever it is, but I like the details, like J.K. Rowling's portrayal of Hogsworth talked about, but I like the details that the film director, producers, actors put into the movies and also that Fleming put into his characters as well when he was writing them. I think that all works very well. And, it, and it's proven, the, in, the enduring popularity of the movies proved that, right? I yeah. think, yeah. 
Yeah, and of course, I wasn't around when they first started, but I, I kind of wonder, you know, how they, they took off with, with Dr. No, how much of a hit it was in the beginning, or if it was a slow yeah. burn to kind of word of mouth, oh, you have to go see this, or, you know, I saw it and it was great. I've seen it, you know, maybe a couple of times, and when it started becoming more of a, a franchise and an idea that it's, it's bigger than itself, you know, because you started getting product tie-ins and stuff like that around maybe Goldfinger or something like that. Yeah. You know, the, the, the introduction of the Aston Martin DB5 was a, a big deal. And that led to, because I've, 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 I've seen the old press kits and stuff like that, talking about the toys that are available and, really? and such yeah. that you can get. And that's kind of when I remember them starting. You know, it was before my time, but looking back, you know, I've, I've had some of those and had the press kit and stuff like that. I've gotten through different means, yeah. you know. And, <laughs> okay. Well, trades, <laughs> trades. It's not like I heisted them or anything, but uh, they've come and gone uh, and such. But I see what the cool stuff they had in the 60s, yeah. you know, that were, were, were tie-ins and stuff like that. And really, it's funny. I was thinking about, you know, I've told you many times that anything that we were into as a kid in our era, there was always almost inevitably a bubblegum trading card for it. Sure. And Moonraker had those. But I really don't remember any of the others having them after that. I, I don't, but, I'd be surprised uh, if they were. For Your Eyes Only was the next one, and I don't believe it did. Yeah, okay. But you, there was the wax packs of Moonrigger cards yeah. with the bubble gum that I still have to this day. The, 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 I my, don't my, find that hard My to stack of Moonrigger cards yeah. are still there. I know you'd love to collect things, so I'm not surprised that you still have them. And then, you know, as a kid, you know, once I, I guess, maybe Moonrigger was the first one I saw, period. Again, I know it was the one in the theater, but then you start watching the older ones as they come on TV. Mm -hmm. You know, they would show them on whatever Tuesday night movie or whatever. And yeah. I always would watch any of them, you know, be it multiple times or be it the first time, and I would go back. It wasn't too long before The Spy Who Loved Me became my favorite. And I think a high amount of that uh, interest came just due to the Lotus. The submarine Lotus was yeah. the hottest thing. <laughs> Just that is amazing. Yeah, there are certain elements in the way that those movies are put together. And I'm thinking now, as we're chatting here, of typically having the cold open to the movie straight into a scene. James Bond in Mortal Danger, typically driving down a road, and suddenly machine guns are in action and car chase. But you know, as that starts, you're waiting for the cut to the intro music. Yep and that iconic music that we all know and love. Well, and the barrel of the, you're looking through the barrel of the gun with the, the, with the, the striping. And then usually the, the silhouettes of dancing models or, you know, in past movies, probably not PC to use those any longer, but all of that, yes, it's like you're waiting for that moment for the cut to the, to the music and then you're into the... Into well, the, into and the, leading right into that, I'm not sure, I'd have to go back and find out when they kind of started this, but inevitably the song for the movie is sung by a pretty famous musical artist of the time yeah right yeah yeah carly yeah. simon did the spy who loved me but before that was there well let what live and let die was paul, paul mccartney and wings wasn't it absolutely was. yes, yes. so there we yeah. got to go back at least to the first roger moore i'm sure they all had theme songs we have to find out who sang them for the conneries that would be without any question i'm going to predict that on wikipedia we would find a page with oh yeah that that. <laughs> yes and since then we've had you know what more recently adele and madonna did madonna do one I, I seem think to think she did. I think the new one that they are talking about putting out next is Billie Eilish. Okay. Who's very contemporary right very now current, and very, yeah, very, very current. You're going to get a, a single <laughs> out of the deal, too. In fact, I've got... Uh, yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're performing the, the opening song for, for the, uh, the next James Bond film, you've arrived, as they say. Yes. 
Yeah. You're you're a hot commodity at that time. Whether or not you continue right. to be one yeah. or not. I mean, obviously, Carly Simon has had a quite a long, illustrious yeah. career and is considered, uh, you know, kind of a legend in her industry. Yeah. You get the but, Bond gig, you can tick that little box. I have arrived. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah even um, in the early, and I think we've talked about this when we talked about albums and stuff. I, I never got a lot of albums, but uh, I do have the Spy Who Loved Me soundtrack. Oh, yeah. But I did get it on the clearance bin at Zaire, oh, department yeah. store. Yeah. But uh, I've got it, you know, and I'd pop that thing on and listen to Carly Simon. And the, they called it the box. It was filmed in 77 or came out in 77 because the, the music that we know is called Bond 77 on that album. And it's a little more added to it. It's not just a traditional theme. but And it's a whole album of other ambient music throughout the film. I'm sure I haven't listened to it in about 40 years, but it's there. Yes, the Wal- Walther PPK. Walther PPK it? was yeah, a standard that is issue Standard gun. issue weapon, yeah. Or, or well, it was not standard issue, it was the one exactly he chose. Right. We must correct that, yes. It's the one he always wants to use, but it's not standard issue, which irritates Q immensely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is another great thing. Yeah. I like all that. That's more, the, the, again, those little details, I'm attracted to that instantly. But, and I'm not, by no means a firearm, firearms expert, but, I mean, it's a pretty small, little compact gun. I'm, I'm sure it doesn't pack the wallop that uh, some others could, but I guess he figures it gets, in a close situation, it's going to do what it needs to do, and he can... I, I don't know. I am sure, and again, gentle listener, you may be aware of this, or I'm sure we could find this on the internet. I bet if we research the reason for that Walter PPK, somewhere in Ian Fleming's background, there would be a reason why he chose it, because... Yes, like you, I'm very, very far from experts on firearms, but I, my understanding is that Walther PPK was nothing particularly accurate or powerful that a, that an agent would want to use. It looks so, good, and it so, looks good in the hand. So on, there is on a film. reason. I'll give it that. There and like I say, if they wrote it into the book, it really didn't make make any bother whether it's going to be on yeah. film or not. But at the time, the other thing, of course, you know, getting back to this is, you know, the, the cars have really become stars of those movies themselves. Of course, yeah. Starting with the. Uh, the Goldfinger DB5. Yes, yeah. And then BMW had quite a close connection to the movies. I'm sure there was a commercial. I about to say that's where I kind of I kind of go yeah. because it's blatant product, yeah. product placement, well, and it didn't fit at all. Yeah, but somebody's got to pay for those explosions that you love. Oh, I'm sure. But yeah, we had that run. It was pretty much the, the uh, Pierce Brosnan run, of where he's all of a sudden driving German. Vehicles. I mean, yeah. you're 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 a British agent. You should not be driving German vehicles. <laughs> it's okay when you abscond with one, but uh, but yeah, we got to keep it to the. And they they did they did rectify that later when we. I think it was the first Daniel Craig came back and he was driving the Aston DBS. Right. And I think that's the one too. Is because yeah. Casino, Casino Royale was his first one, and they also he drove the DB the vintage DB5 when he was in the islands. Yeah. With the uh, Ferrari F F355, you know. In the, with the lady in it, and they were kind of racing about the mountain roads. Yes, that's right. He had the D, he had the DB5 when they went up to the the Scottish Highlands, right, with with Judy Dench. Well, that came much later in the in a couple yeah. of years ago, um, which was a great tie because, yeah, they had it in Goldfinger and I think Thunderball. Then it took a kind of hiatus, showed back up I think in Casino Royale, and then um, the one we're talking about was uh, Skyfall. Skyfall. Where everything is, the, the, the villain um, has hacked, hacked everything. Yeah. So they can't drive her uh, government-issued Jaguar because there's too much electronics in it. So they pull the DB5 out of his warehouse where he stored all the stuff from his long, long, or she, she put it away. That's she right. put it away with all this stuff from his flat because they thought he was deceased and they could get out of, out of town undetected. 
Now, did you did you have a, a Corgi model or another manufactured model of the DB5 as a kid? Did you? Have I did not have the DB5. I had the. Back then, I didn't have it. I I've somewhat in trades and stuff like that. Again, ended up with the that size of the Lotus. That's the submarine. You know, you push yeah. you push the bumper, the 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 back flaps fall down and the side flaps come in yeah, oh, cool. and it had a little thing on top you could fire four missiles out of the back of it out of the louvers yeah off the I, back window. I did have the db5 i have a feeling it was corgi but i may yeah, probably, be yeah. wrong on that yeah but i do it remember it had the it had the bulletproof screen on the rear screen you press a little button and the metallic screen shot up to protect the rear screen and there was machine guns in the front grill, I think. Another button you pressed and the machine guns came out the front. Yeah, and surely the ejector. The, the roof would flip up and it'd yeah. shoot a little red red plastic man out of the top. Boy, I wish I still had that now. I know. Now, now you've made me think about it. I wonder what ever happened to that. No, I never. It's funny. I never had that one. Again, it's kind of what was... By then, this, you know, the stuff from the 60s and early 70s were kind of floating around in the 70s. So if some kid had one or something like that. Yeah. But they were probably still making those for a good while. And then, like say, the Lotus took over. As being the popular one, I had the Hot Wheel of the Lotus, but it really wasn't made to be the James Bond. One. It was white and had a British flag on the oh, hood, well, and they called it the uh, Royal Flash. I think was oh, yeah. something like. I could be wrong on that, but I had the Hot Wheel of just the car. Yes, another great aspect of those movies, which is attractive, possibly more now than it was as a younger kid watching the James Bond movies, was the beautiful international destinations those wonderful islands out in the Pacific or uh, I'm thinking of a there's a there's a set I think it's based in China where you have those little islands out in the bay yeah the little volcanic islands and they just look so pretty and of course trips to Monaco seems to be every other every other James Bond movie there's a there's a Monaco scene well inevitably we have to go around the world because the person that did the blueprints happens to have a little shack on a mountaintop at some faraway location that they have to get to. So, can you just imagine the budget it takes? Like, okay, we're gonna film on this side of the world, but we're gonna do three shots over, completely around the world. Everybody pack it up. I know. We're heading over there, make sure the stars are first class accommodations to get them there. And then we uh, land, film, get back to the next location. Yeah. I'd say they have one of the crazier budgets in the film world. And then after principal photography, they'll say, oh, we just needed a little pickup scene Back in Monaco, everybody back on the plane. <laughs> you know, well, that's that's the world of uh, that's the world of Hollywood for you, I guess. One of my favourite scenes in um, imagined sets, I should say, talking about sets with James Bond, was the temporary MI5 HQ that was in the Queen Mary. Oh yeah, in, in uh, for your eyes only. Which was on this it's on the side. And I remember like they'd done this wonderful idea of you walked into the set and they'd built they built their office inside the ship that was leaning over at forty five degrees. Yep. So there's this sort of juxtaposed position between the set being at forty five degrees and the floor of the office being at ninety degrees. I thought that was really cool. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I remember that one was uh, we watched that one a bunch because a uh, friend I was kinda hanging out with around that age, I'm seventh grade, something like that. And we never had it at our house, but he had HBO. Okay. And it would come on, it was regular rotation on HBO because it had been out the year before or something like that. And it was, so we watched that one numerous times. And then I started, I didn't see that one at the theater. And then I remember like, Octopussy would have been next. Yeah. And then I did see that one at the theater and I didn't see A View to a Kill. So I kind of, it was almost like I was on a on-off love affair <laughs> with seeing these movies, I guess. 
And I did see the, the Dalton one, I think, was the next one, the first Timothy Dalton. Yes. Now, he never struck me as a particularly popular I think James I Bond. think usually when people list them, he's like the last <laughs> choice. Yeah, it's unfortunate for him, really. Yeah. And then it was George Lazenby that took over. Lazenby, Lazenby, whichever. Yeah, I'm never Whichever sure is the correct is. pronunciation. Right. pronunciation. But anyway, yeah. so it was his turn at the role. And, but he only did the, uh, the one film, Under Majesty's Secret Service. Now, why did he only star in one movie? Was there a problem with his contract? Did they not like him? As far as I, as far I, as I it, remember, he was okay. Yeah, I think so. I think he did a good job. I think it was his own choice that he did not want to continue playing that role. Uh, though he did continue acting, it wasn't like he left the business. I think for whatever reason, he just didn't have an interest in mm. doing another one. Well, if it was his choice, I mean, it could have been any number of reasons. I mean, I don't know, but maybe it was simply a moral choice that he didn't want to play a character that used a gun. Who knows? But yeah, he obviously know. went on to, as you say, he went on to a long career in, in, in movies. So good luck to him, as they say. Yeah, yeah. But even though if it was the one, the one... Uh, episode in the franchise or a movie in the franchise it was a very pivotal episode and it is the one that he gets married and uh, the the wife Tracy is assassinated shortly thereafter I think on the drive away from what I recall something like that Teresa Draco yep known as Tracy Tracy <laughs> yes, James right. and Tracy James and Tracy Bond yeah yeah and they never stayed married for very long now, like I said, I think it was even the drive away from the wedding is yeah. best. Our, it was definitely on the honeymoon or something right. like that. It was not long before uh, they were uh, attacked on the road. Yes, James Bond strikes me as one of those characters that is not supposed to be married for very long. No, no. You throw in the element, but we're not going to let this storyline carry on <laughs> very much longer. Yeah. But, but another, uh, another thing I liked in the, in the movie, and people kind of forget about this one. You know, they, everybody all obviously knows the DB5 we've talked about and the yeah. Lotus and the later ones with Roger Moore. But there actually is an Aston Martin that he uses in On Her Majesty's Secret Service that not as many people notice, but it's in the opening scene at the beach, and it's, I think, the one he's driving uh, after the wedding or on the honeymoon, and it's uh, Aston uh, DB6. DBS, I'm sorry. DBS. DBS. Yeah. yeah. So look that up. I mean, you might have, you know, some... Oh, yeah, moments when you see, that is an Aston. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't the DB5, it was the DPS that made an appearance in that movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and only that one. Yeah. So, and then after that, then we started the Roger Moore era. Which, I mean, Roger Moore had a long and successful career as, as James Bond. Yeah, essentially, I think, what, a 10-year run? If you look yeah, at it, somewhere around there. Yeah, and that was the era... Um, I want to say early 70s. Mid, right. Probably mid-70s to mid-80s, somewhere and there. I, you know, that's my memory of going to the cinema on a Saturday afternoon as a, as a kid, you're going to the cinema and watching anything. But the, the arrival, of, we've took, touched on it earlier on in the podcast, but the arrival of those James Bond movies in the summer was just such a great moment. Whether it was summer or winter release, I'm not, I can't remember. But I do remember sitting in the cinema... And at the time in England, and perhaps it was the same in the States, if you were in the cinema, you could stay there all day long. You just buy a ticket and sit there and you just watch the movie over and over and over again. You didn't have to yeah. leave after one. I've screen. heard of that, and I, I think that may be more of an English thing or other country right. thing. I think in the U.S. you could, but if they kind of noticed you were doing that, they're probably going <laughs> to shuffle you out the door. I don't think in England they ever really cared. So my school friends and I would typically arrive at the Curzon in Loughborough for a... 1 p.m., 12.30 in the afternoon, 1 p.m. screening. 
and we would stay there until the last bus home to the village, which was probably seven or eight o'clock at night. So we were, I mean, we made a full day of it. We would just sit there glued to the screen, watching the James Bond movie over and over. Yeah. Well, honestly, if there's not some huge crowd and you're taking up seats that can be sold, I mean, why, why not let you, you know? They never minded. And they, those matinee shows uh, in our little town, there was hardly anybody there. Yeah. It was a great time to go. I mean, I have wonderful memories. As you know, I still enjoy the cinema very much now, as you do. Um, but I still enjoy to this day going to a cinema for a matinee showing when there's hardly anybody there. And just, there is something magical. I'll always have this feeling. I think I'll never lose it now. When the lights dim and the movie starts. Yeah. It's just a magical moment. And I remember that from being a kid, 10, 11, 12 and I still have it to this day. But yeah, th those James Bond movies definitely did it because there was such a big moment in the year. Yeah. yeah. And I, t I tell you, now that, th now that I think about it, and you mentioned that, when I went and saw Moonraker, that might be the very first movie that like, I wasn't accompanied. Right. Like my mom just dropped me off. Yeah. Uh, it seems about, because we didn't go to the movies a lot. You, movies cost money, so sure. we didn't go all the time. Yeah. But usually it was something that mom and I could go see together. She took me to see Star Wars. She took me to see Close Encounters, you know, or the, the, one of the Peanuts movies or something like that. It was, you know, Disney movies right. and stuff like that. All yeah. the Herbies, you know, whatever of that era. But, you know, it just may be coincidence that we're talking about it. But Moonraker might have been the first one where I was just dropped off and, you know, I'll be waiting outside when you're done and come on out because she had no interest in seeing it. Um, so I guess it's kind of, you know, that bit of growing up right then. There's just something about the Bond movies that sticks in my memory that, I mean, back in the 70s, in a little cinema in England, the sound system wasn't very good, as you want to imagine. But I have this memory of the Bond movies, the sound, the audio exploded around the cinema. They just nailed it with the best technology they had at the time and that's one of my memories is the audio was fabulous the special effects but also the the incidental music and all of it just seemed you know, this is, it's as much about sound as anything else which again I'm far from expert on almost anything but I think most memorable movies will always have a great combination of visual and audio and when the two mix together very well Jaws is a well, classic example, I suppose, of the that. The more but. you can immerse the audience member into the storyline yes. and into the environment you want them to be in, that's all the better. And audio does that. And you can say another one is you, you just mentioned Star Wars earlier on. And, of course, the Star Wars theme or the Emperor's theme uh, or the Empire theme, the March theme. But they're such well-known classic cinema music. And the Bond, the Bond movies, we touched on it earlier on, the Bond movies are the same. It's... It, draws you in as soon as you hear those opening sounds of the violins and whatever it is, you know, you get drawn into it. And the Bond movies absolutely continue to do that, I'm sure, yeah. yeah. And they were kind of, you know, let's, you know, let's say, I, you know, let's say Moonraker was, what, maybe 79, so let's say I'm 10 years old. It's one of those that you're okay letting your 10-year-old go see. Yeah. It's somewhat violent, but not overly. And there's always that little smattering of humor. Yes. You know, between Q and Bond and Money Penny and Bond. There's always that. And that, that kind of tongue-in-cheek humor thrown into it. And, of course, you know, again, I loved all... Anytime they had a, a vehicle on, on screen, I was into it. Uh, and anything like that. So it was... And to this day, you know, they still... They have gotten grittier with the... But they're still not over the top. They're not, like, you know, going to be so violent that they're just, you know, 
turn a lot of people off. They still have a big mass appeal to a lot of people yes. across the board. Tarantino hasn't started directing. No, I think it would be a quite a different uh, Bond if he does. So I love his genre, but I don't think it's quite right for this. Right. Yeah, no, he doesn't need to do the Bond movie. No. And again, as we're recording this podcast here, sat on our, the porch outside of uh, my home here, we must be very close to the delayed release of the next installment of the Bond movies, which will be Daniel's last time in that role. Correct? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Again, I haven't paid enough attention. I think with everything in the past year and a half and movies being held, released, not released, released onto home video or yeah. streaming, I, I can't keep up right now. So it's coming, when it'll right? show up, it'll show up. Oh, I know. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Before COVID started, they were showing the um, the trailer. Yes. Yeah. I know. Because um, how do I tie it in? He's driving an Aston V8 in this one. There you go. And I, I was like, ooh, I love that car. Um, so yeah, yeah, it is. I think it's been in the can for quite some time, and they've been. It has. COVID got I've in the way of it, that. and then I think uh, it was very close to being released and delayed again. But I, you know, Touchwood and all the rest of it. I think we're getting close to the point. Of I it. think it was like a yeah. I think it was supposed to like maybe come out April of twenty. Yeah. And then everything just shut down or something, or not too far after that. So yeah, I I'd completely forget. See, I put it to the back of the recesses of the mind for the past year and a half. It's pretty much ready to go as far as we know, so we should have one hopefully soon. It'd be yeah. great It'd be great to see it in a theater. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, hopefully we can make that happen. Yeah. Well, thanks for, again, thanks for that subject, because James Bond, James Bond, is one of those movie franchises that has been with us since we were small children. We just mentioned it, going to the we're cinema over 50 for the years. first time, and here we are. You know, I'm very close now to, you know, I'm getting very, very close to 60. But they've always been there right throughout our lives. And, of course, millions of others have gone through the same thing. And I'm, I have no doubt whatsoever that movie franchise will continue on way after we've shuffled off this mortal coil. And later generations will be as immersed in them as we were as kids and as teenagers and as adults. I like all of that. It's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. And when I think about it, too, they're all pretty good. They're all good. There's not really a one that was like, oh my gosh, they were all, except the, the stinker. You you're know, always, the always going to have a, a favorite of anything. Yeah. Now, there, there might be two exceptions that people kind of think about or don't think about, depending on how you look at it, is the, was it the David Niven Casino Royale yeah. comedy? And then the other one I think that gets dismissed is the, what, Never Say Never Again, which was when Connery returned in the early 80s. I'd have to research about how it's perceived, but they, a lot of people just dismiss it as part of the franchise it was his own independent kind of thing and didn't stick so i think those two are always kind of the fringe players yeah. in this grand drama you uh, just made me think about the, the the titles of the movies and are we getting to the point now where we're, we're running out of possibilities for names for bond movies we'll never say never again ever again exactly <laughs> But whatever they call them, they are wonderful things. And thanks, Kevin, for bringing that topic up. That was, that was fun. I enjoyed that. Well, we better say goodbye, had we not? We should. We should. See you again on another episode of Matching and the Other Guy. Bye for now. Bye for now. Oh, we got it.